Hi, everybody. My name is Dan Alcoholic. I'm grateful to be here sober tonight. Uh, is it just a year? It seems like longer. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be back at the glass house uh, and see some friendly faces and and uh, a lot of faces I don't recognize and and uh, but we're the same we're the same folks. Um, I remember when I went to my very first meeting and um, and I looked around and and uh, there were people with bright eyes and they weren't drinking they said and I wasn't sure I believed that but um, what I found was that that uh, we were all alike in that in that uh, we all had a problem with with booze. And uh, and you guys had a solution. You were willing to share it with me for fun and for free, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, I didn't set out to be an alcoholic. I thought I was too young and too cute to be an alcoholic. Um, and and I I watched my mom die of this disease in 1975, and uh, God, I didn't, I didn't want to be like that. Um, but there I was getting up every morning saying I'm not going to drink today and by 5 o'clock I'd be drinking. It was awful. It was awful. So I came to you guys and the miracles started happening. Uh, Eve, I hope they're happening for you. Congratulations on that 60 days. That's a really neat day. Um, I'm supposed to tell you briefly um what I was like and and what happened to me and and uh, and what I'm like today as a result of what happened to me and and I'm going to try to do that in the next little bit. <coughs> Actually, I'm through. I'm supposed to <laughs> limit it to five minutes. On it. Um, but I'll try to do that. Um, I grew up here in Fort Worth in, in a in a very normal. Uh, family, I thought, and and uh, there wasn't any active alcoholism going on in my house, and and there was a lot of drinking. Um, my folks had two or three drinks before dinner every night, and and it just always seemed like a festive time. It seemed like part of living, uh, and 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 a really good part of living. Um, they had parties, and there was always booze at the parties, and and. Um, uh, but I never, I never saw anybody getting drunk and and uh, disorderly. It was a, it was a, uh, a, a normal childhood growing up. I had two brothers, one older and one younger, and um, and and life was pretty good. Um, I remember moving over to the west side of town. I grew up on the south side, and I moved over here on the west side uh, when when I was about nine and. And I remember uh, being ill at ease for some reason or another in this new school, in this new neighborhood, and and I never really got over that. Uh, I wanted to be somebody else, someplace else, doing something else with somebody else. I just didn't fit in my skin. Um, When I was about 14, um, I don't remember my first drink. I I remember, though, that that I went... Uh, when I was about 14 to a 
movie with some older guys and, and they had some beer and and, uh, and I drank a little more beer than everybody else did and I threw up and and got, got home, uh, went to bed and got up the next morning and thought, you know, this is this isn't bad, this this booze deal. You know, I can drink with these older guys. I got to do something about the puking, but if I if I can do that, this booze deal is a pretty good deal because it made me feel it made me feel different. I, I felt like I fit in. Tell I puked. Um, and and that just started a pattern for me. I I, I began drinking uh, every time I got a chance after that, usually on the weekends. Um, and and I and I learned how to drink and, and not to and uh, uh, I um, about that time uh, got hooked on speed as well we didn't call it speed in those days it was dexedrine and, and that made me a little nervous so you had to lace it with Milltown and that was kind of a tranquilizer and, and it was sort of better living through chemistry and I did that for I don't know uh, eight or t- eight or nine years, and, uh, and 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 really had a hard time getting off the street. Um, and looking back, of course, everything I tell you is stuff I've learned from doing this fourth and fifth step. Looking back, um, the way I got off the speed was I just simply increased my alcohol intake. Nothing to it. Um, Booze was my drug of choice, and and, um, and and remained that way for a long time. Um, I was, I guess, a moderate to heavy drinker, um, and and um, the book talks about the various our our book, and and those of you um, who don't have a copy of this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's the uh, owner's manual. I'd suggest that you get one and read it. If you're like us, you'll find yourselves in there. Um, uh, it contains the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it contains some stories about uh, various people like us uh, and how they lived and what happened to them and, and what they were like after. Um I found myself in that book. I, I always wanted to be a big shot because I knew if I, if you thought I was a big shot, um, then maybe I could feel better about me uh, than I did. And uh, and I always knew one day they'd write a book about me, and sure enough, they did. Which um, this one right here. I never thought it was going to be anonymous, but uh, I found me in there, and. Uh, and if you're like me, you'll find you in there too. Um, I, um, I I was sent off to to a military school the last two years in high school, and and uh, it was either that or reform school, and I still don't know whether I made the right choice going out there, but I did, and and uh, and I went from there, and and every chance I could get off of that campus out there where everything was regulated then I would have I'd find a way to find some whiskey and and, uh, and drink and be with the other guys and, and things were things were pretty good I left there and, and went uh, 
uh, I guess after I after I got out of high school, from that point on until I found you guys, I was a daily drinker. Uh, I drank every day. Not I, I didn't get drunk every day, but I drank every day. And um, and I went from uh, New Mexico Military Institute, where everything was re- regulated, uh, uh, to the University of Texas, where uh, everything was not regulated. And I spent the first six months. Uh, at Schultz's Beer Garden before I found out they were holding classes up at the other end of the street. <laughs> and, uh, well, I thought, if they didn't care whether or not I went to class, why should I, you know? Um, my father got to the point where he didn't care whether I went to class either or not, and he said uh, that was the end of, of his financial support. So I came back up here to TCU and where I could get a job. I couldn't get a job in Austin in those days. There were so many students and so few jobs. And so I came back here and and got a job and, and crammed a four-year course into about six and a half out of TCU, um, <laughs> drinking all the time and, and uh, partying and having a wonderful time. And, and, I, and I never was a very good student. I graduated from TCU and, and went out to the West Coast, moved out there to make my fortune. That didn't work. And came back here and went to law school. And for the first time in my life, I, I really got involved in something that I, that I was good at and I really liked. And... And uh, and law school was the thing, and, and and as I say, I was a daily drinker by that time. But because of the workload, uh, the drinking was was way down. Uh, but for the first time in my life, I used uh, booze as a medicine. I I would work hard during the week, and, and I'd get through nine thirty or ten o'clock, and I couldn't go to sleep. And and I found a couple of shooters would just smooth that thing right out, and I could go to sleep and. And it would just kind of shut the mind down a little bit. And, um, and I did that on a regular basis. Uh, every day I'd, I'd get through with, with my work, 9 or 9.30 at night, and I'd have a couple of shooters and something to eat, and I'd go to bed. Um, I got out of, uh, of law school and, and, uh, and had a really good job. Uh, offer and went up to Washington D.C. and and worked for the Justice Department for four years and and uh, and again uh, I was drinking all the time but I mean every day but only after work and and, and it was just never it just wasn't a problem booze wasn't a problem for me it was part of life just part of everything that was going on um, I tell you that and and I I also looking back can tell you that denial was was rampant even then. Uh, I look back at, at uh, I had my first uh, automobile accident uh, drunk before I had a driver's license. I was down in Crestwood and I, I just happened to be down there the other day and I, and I drove past, there was a tree in the middle of the street and I remember going right for that tree because it looked to me like there were two of them and I was going to go between and I ran right and, it, and when he, you know I didn't have a driver's license it was some family member a, a neighbor's car it was I was doing it without permission and I did a lot of that they they used to call it stealing cars I, I never thought of it that way exactly it, it was we'd buy a car and go joyride and take it back and they had no sense of humor about it at all. Um, I got caught every time. Um, anyhow, I, I got out of uh, law school and was working for the Justice Department. And had a wonderful time, and 
And uh, by the time I got to you guys, um, I heard people talking about blackouts. And if I could have taken a lie detector test and passed it um, and tell you that I, I never had a blackout. But in doing that fourth step and talking to, to somebody in the fifth step, it occurred to me that I had my first blackout when I was 18 down at the University of Texas. Uh, I went to a party and from 7.30 on, I had no memory of it. But they had pictures of me the next day. They showed me crawling around on the floor on my hands and knees looking up at little girls' dresses. And, uh, I didn't have any memory of that. Uh, and that happened a lot. Um, by the time I got to you guys. It didn't happen often early. I mean, it, it was uh, later there were a lot of blackouts. Uh, but, but I never thought of them as blackouts. I don't know why. Um, I came back to Fort Worth and, and opened up a practice. About this time, uh, uh, my younger brother uh, had left home maybe four or five years before that, and, and my mother started drinking uh, pretty heavily and and uh, by 1970 she had full-blown alcoholism and uh, and it was really causing a problem in my family and by that time I'm drinking a half a quart a day and and it doesn't seem to me like I've got a problem so I lead the family intervention on my mother logical choice and uh, I thought I knew a lot about alcoholism I didn't um, and she uh, sobered up for a couple of years she wouldn't go to ANA though because you guys just weren't her kind of folks you know and so she wouldn't go and as a result she started drinking again within four years she was dead um, of this disease and and again I thought I knew a lot about alcoholism I kept saying you know I I don't drink like she does. I can't be an alcoholic. It never even occurred to me that I was an alcoholic. I, all I knew was that I didn't drink like she did. And why in the hell couldn't she control her drinking? I mean, it was just a matter of of uh, willpower. You just needed to have a little willpower, and and she didn't have any. And I thought it was a moral failing on her part. And, um, and, and I and I watched her die of this disease. It was a terrible thing. Um, <coughs> I'd gotten married my last year in law school and we had a couple of boys and, and, and the marriage was good and the practice was great as long as I was with the Justice Department and during the law school years. And I got out and opened up a practice here and, and all of a sudden the, the, the competition was different for some reason or another. Um, it seemed to me that comp the competition was in, in order to be successful at law practice, you had to, one, make a lot of money, two, uh, have a lot of toys, three, uh, have the, the prestige and the, and the good wishes of all of your um, peers. And, and, um, and, and I kept fighting for that and, and, and wanting that. And, and, and I got real lucky and, and got that. Um, uh, all I wanted of that, and uh, what happened was that the the uh, the more successful that that practice got, the the less successful the marriage was. And we had these two little kids, and and my wife went crazy, and and uh, went into a mental institution, and and she 
stayed there for about six months and and came back out and we did some family therapy and it got a little better and and uh, and then she went crazy again and was in there for a year that time and and uh, and I was uh, mom and dad and lawyer and I mean I had a lot of hats and and I tried to wear them all and and uh, and I just to show you how selfish and self-centered I was. Um, <coughs> What happened for me was uh, I couldn't feel any real compassion for her. All I felt was anger because she wasn't holding up her end of the deal, and I was having to hold up both our ends of the deal. And um, and so what happened was um, we went to some more family counseling, and and she could tell the counselor what was wrong with her and and how she felt, and um, and I couldn't, and she got better, and I didn't. That's simple. We got a divorce, and. And uh, I left that marriage busted, and and uh, but I, I still had a good practice, and and so the money started flowing again pretty quick, and and I started playing, and I had a wonderful time for a few years. Uh, I did a lot of traveling and and uh, fun stuff, and and I, and I, again I was a daily drinker, and and it just never occurred to me that booze was a problem for me. I was a heavy drinker, and I knew I was a heavy drinker, but uh, I could hold my booze, you know. Uh, besides, I was just a social drinker, right? And and somebody said, and it's a, it's true for me. Um, I was such a social drinker that every time somebody said, "I'll have a drink," I'd say, "Social, <laughs> you know." And, um, but it just didn't seem to be a problem. Just didn't seem to be a problem. Um, I was 40 years old, and and, uh, and I swear I'd never get married again. And and um, uh, one one thing I got to say about that that first marriage is is during that time I was so angry about her not holding up her end of the deal. The result of that was that there was a bond between my kids and me that even my most active alcoholism couldn't break. And I I'm really grateful for that. I, uh, today uh, I didn't realize it then but that um, that was really a, a, a wonderful plus for me um, so uh, I swear I'd never get married again I'm single about five years and I'm playing and having a wonderful time and doing a lot of traveling and uh, there are a lot of relationships uh, with women in my life some of them lasted a night and some of them a, a few nights and and um, it didn't I, that didn't seem to me to be anything strange I mean it just seemed to be the way the way it was going and and so um, I swear I'd never get married again and I I'm 40 years old and I meet this 19 year old blonde gorgeous country western singer and I can't just I can't live another minute without her and we get married and and uh, and have a great time for a couple of years and and then I ran out of money and I had to go back to work and and uh, and our marriage fell apart and, and uh, strange we went to counseling uh, and she could tell the counselor what she was feeling and I couldn't and she got better and I didn't you may notice a pattern here I uh, I didn't until I got to you guys. Uh, it was a very angry and acrimonious divorce, and I left that marriage busted. And 
but the practice was good, and so um, <laughs> I, I started playing and, and uh, carrying on some more, and I was having a really good time, and, and all of a sudden, though, uh, my uh, former uh, Midas touch just turned the other turned brown. I mean, it just—it was just uh, like like it had been a, a 360 degree reverse. I, I started making some really bad uh, business decisions and and investments, and and uh, and things started cratering for me. And and I did what I what I always had done. I I had never tried to quit drinking. Uh, to quit drinking, I, I've always had a weight problem, and and so once in a while I would I would say, oh, I'm I ballooned up too much. I need to start running and and get back in shape, and and uh, and I couldn't do that and still drink, and so I quit drinking for however long it took, a month, two months, three months, six months, and it just wasn't a problem. Well, uh, in 1986, I uh, things weren't going well, and. I decided that I needed to um, get my life back in order in a normal way. And I was getting up every morning and saying, I'm not going to drink today, and by 5 o'clock I'd be drinking. Unless it was the weekend, <laughs> in which case it might be a little earlier. I remember thinking I, I didn't drink in the morning like my mother did. And... Uh, and I remember saying that after I got to you guys and, and a, a woman that I dated some uh, when we were both drinking was in, a, in one of those meetings when I was whining about that. And, and after the meeting she said, well, didn't we drink some mimosas in the mornings on Saturday or Sunday or some, or some Bloody Marys? And I said, well, yeah, but I mean, that was the weekend. <laughs> you know, that didn't count. It just never occurred to me that that counted for drinking in the morning or on a trip. You know, I mean, how could that? Well, um, this is the only disease that I'm aware of that tells us that we don't have it. You know, uh, cancer doesn't tell you you don't have cancer, uh, but alcoholism tells you there's nothing wrong with you. You drink like all the rest of those guys. It was true. I did. I drank like a lot of those those guys. Uh, a lot of them are in the program today. Uh, so I, um, I called a friend of mine um, that he said that he wasn't drinking. And two or three of the other guys said, you know, he's really not drinking. And I've tried all the stuff the book talks about, you know. It talks about beer only, wine only, drinking only in the, you know, uh, uh, in the afternoons, drinking only at night, taking a trip, not taking a trip, all that stuff. I tried all that stuff. But I was still getting up every morning and, and saying, I'm not going to drink today, and by 5 o'clock I'll be drinking. And uh, so I go see this guy, and we have lunch, and, and I say, uh, is it really true that you haven't had a drink in six months? And he said, yeah. Yeah. I said, do you get any help with that? He said, yeah, I'm going to AA. You want to go to a meeting? And I thought, oh, my God, AA. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just like my mother. I'm a drunk, just like my mother. Got to go to A&A. &A. Um, that was one of the blackest days of my life. Uh, because I really didn't set out to have on my resume that I'd be an alcoholic. 
I really thought that it was a, that it was a moral failing, and I, I don't know where I got that idea. Um, but uh, but I thought, oh shit, I've got it. And I had tried so hard and uh, not to have it, and and uh, but but for me it was like it was like making love to a gorilla. You know, you just couldn't stop till the gorilla wanted to. Who's <laughs> <laughs> had me? You know, and and it just one anything I, I couldn't turn it loose. You know, so. I, he told me that this buddy of his uh, and mine too was also not drinking and that they were going to go to an A&A meeting that night why don't I go with them and I thought oh boys I'm, I'm really busy but let me check my schedule and I'll get back to you we're really we're, we're incredible we're we're, um, we're drowning and somebody throws us a lifeline and it lands right beside us and we say, wait a minute, let me give this some thought. <laughs> Maybe I don't really need your lifeline. Maybe I can swim this 40 miles back to shore. <laughs> we're, in, we're incredible. Um, so anyhow, the upside of it was I went to a meeting with these guys. Went to an 8 o'clock meeting at the Little Westside group down here. And... and um, it was a Tuesday night. And um, and all I remember about that meeting was that there were a bunch of clear-eyed people there who were happy to see me and asked me to come back and treated me like I had the same kind of problem they did and they, all they wanted to do was share the solution that they had with me for fun and for free. I'd never been a place like that. And the laughter, the laughter was great. It seemed like it was in the wrong places, but there was a lot of laughter. And that was good for me because there wasn't anything funny going on in my life at that point. Um, one of the guys brought me a big boat. They took me home. Now, I hadn't had a drink before they came by to pick me up at 7.30 for this 8 o'clock meeting. And, and, uh, and that was pretty late for me not to have a drink. And uh, but I didn't want to do anything to screw up their program, whatever it was, you know. Uh, so I didn't have a drink, and they got, and they got me back to the house about nine thirty, and they said, "Can we come in a minute and talk to you? Have a coke and and talk to you about some stuff?" And I said, "Yeah, I guess so." Because I'm going to have a drink in front of them, you know, and God knows what I might do to their program, and. <laughs> me, me, me. I, me, mine. You know, I mean, that's just. Um, somebody said that the that the that the alcoholics theme song ought to be. Uh, I'm always on my mind. You know. <laughs> um, I heard one guy say, "I'm not much, but I'm on, almost all I ever think about." <laughs> um, so they came in and we talked for the longest hour I believe I've ever spent in my whole life. And one of these guys brought me a big book and then they, they left finally and I just couldn't wait to get over and pour me a big stiff drink and take it down. And um, and I sat down and drank a half a quart of whiskey and, and read the first half of the big book. 
I was really a smart dude. I had uh, two college degrees, and, and I could read this stuff, boy, and, and uh, I, I was so smart, in fact, that if I'd have been that much smarter, I'd have died drunk. Just that much smarter. Thank God. Um, the next morning, I get up, and uh, I say, I'm not going to drink today, and I go off to work, and Five o'clock. I'm leaving a meeting where everything is falling apart, and uh, and nothing's going the way I want it to go. And and uh, and I get back to my office, and and I and I pour a couple of sh- stiff shooters, and, and I go to a party and have a couple of drinks there, and then and then go home. Because by this time, if I go to a party, I and have two or three drinks, I don't want to start slurring my words and look like my mother. So. If I feel that coming on, I'm in the car and I'm going home. So here's Mr. Social Drinker drinking a half a quart of whiskey every night by himself in his house. I don't know how that computes to you. It's, it seemed to me to be social drinking. Um, so I went home and, and uh, drank another half a quart of whiskey and, and read the rest of that big book. Got the next one and said, I'm not going to drink today. Uh, five o'clock that day, I'm coming home from another meeting, uh, and and it's just everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and nobody's doing it the way I want them to. And I leave that meeting, and 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 I'm walking back to my office, and at that point, I hadn't said a prayer I bet in 30 years, maybe 40. I had no relationship with God of any kind. I'd given up on God. I had been through a number of Protestant religions. I'd studied some Eastern religions. I had uh, converted to Catholicism at one point when I was dating a Catholic girl who had what I wanted. And she really did. It was it was incredible. You could watch her go down the aisle to the front of the church and take communion. And when she stood up and turned around, she was a different person. And, I, and that was very attractive to me. Uh, and I tried that. I I tried as hard as I could to to find what she had in Catholicism, and I couldn't find it. Um, so I gave up on the church, and, and I have any any kind of of relationship with God at all. And I'm walking back to my office, and and I just can't wait to have a drink, and and uh, a voice or a, or a thought or something said to me, uh, "I thought you weren't going to drink today." God, my heart started pounding, and my palms started sweating, and I looked up, and in the most skeptical way, I said, well, I guess you're going to help me out of that. I walked back to my office. And for the first time in my memory, I was out of booze at my office. I didn't have any booze at my office. And I had two emergency phone calls from clients that I had to return. It took about an hour to return these two calls. And I didn't have to have a drink. And I went back to a meeting that little West Side group Thursday night, December the 18th, 1986, and picked up a chip. Uh, one of these guys. And um, and I haven't had to have a drink since then, or any mind-altering drugs. And... Uh, 
and it's been a it's been a really incredible ride. It's been an incredible ride. Um, thank God I didn't have to do anything to get the gifts of the program. The first gift was uh, that I could sit down and listen. Knew the answer to everything. But for the first time, I could sit down and I could listen to you guys. Tell me how it was with you. And what you were doing to stay sober. Um, you all taught, taught me I didn't ever have to have that loneliness or fear, that crippling loneliness and fear again. <coughs> I could just come in here and be with you. And I'd be part of you. And you loved me back to hell until I could start to love myself. And you did that for me. Uh, I started going to meetings, and, and, I, and I just loved the meetings. I, I loved the laughter, and I loved everything about it. Uh, I got a sponsor. Um, I got started in the steps. I remember I was 90 days sober, and this woman I'd been with for two years um, split. <laughs> Here I'd sobered up. Cleaned up my act. Shit, that was all she wanted out of it. And and my sponsor said, Hooray, this will give you some time to work on your program. <laughs> it's wonderful how they coddle us, isn't it? Um, <coughs> you all taught me to do five things every day. You said, Pick up, you said, Get out on your knees and ask God to keep you sober in the morning for that day. In the day, on your knees, thanking God for keeping you sober. Um, read something out of the big book. Go to a meeting. Pick up that 10,000-pound telephone and call another alcoholic every day. I've been doing those five things every day for 14 years, and I haven't had to have a drink. Now, I don't know which one of those things is keeping me sober, but I'm afraid to give one of them up in case that's the one. So I'm in the habit of doing those things. Uh, they said, and then your only job is don't pick up the first drink because it's the first drink to get you. Um, I didn't have any problem with accepting that I was powerless over alcohol. What I had problem with was that my life was unmanageable. And I said, look, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a, a partner in an international law firm. Uh, that's a big deal, and I got cars and houses, and 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 my kids are, you know. One of the guys who was in the meeting uh, when I said that knew me a little bit, and uh, and knew me before I got to you guys, and, and he came up to me after the meeting. He said, "Listen, uh, your kids really are just before not speaking to you, isn't that right?" I said, "Well, yeah, I just found that out." And uh, he said, you've had two failed marriages, and you've had um, at least four failed law partnerships, and God knows how many failed business ventures. He said, what would you pay some son of a bitch to manage your life the way you're running it? <laughs> I thought, well, I guess I'd fire him. He said, good answer. Let's fire him. Um, so I had, to, I had to admit that my life was unmanageable by me. And then the hard part for me was was um, coming to believe that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. I knew I was kind of crazy, but 
I didn't think that there was a, a higher power that could help me. You know, I believed in a in a in a God that was in charge of the tides and the seasons, maybe and the rain, and but but not anybody that would have an interest in me. And um, and so the first thing they told me was, uh, you got to get down on your knees and 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 pray to God. And and I said, I just that's ridiculous. I don't believe in God. And and Ron Evans. Uh, Ronnie over at Legacy told me one of the smartest guys I know he's an 8th grade dropout under the bridge wino and he said uh, that he had the same problem he he told his first sponsor uh, I don't believe in God you want me to get down on my knees and, and pray to this God I don't believe in that's ridiculous and he said his sponsor said to him what's one more ridiculous thing in your life <laughs> He said it to me so I could understand it in a way I could hear it. And so he told me, he said, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what you think. All that matters is what you do. Get down on your knees and pray to God and ask Him to keep you sober. So I started doing that. And I didn't know who I was praying to. And I, and honestly, it was like writing a, a, a note and, and tying it on a rock and throwing it over the over the the wall. I didn't know if there was anybody ever reading it or not, you know. And uh, finally one day I'm on my knees and I'm 90 days sober or 120 days sober and and, uh, and I realize that I'm sober. Uh, and it wasn't me. It had to be somebody else. Um, they told me that this is God's con job, I think. AA for alcoholics like us who just he couldn't get to any other way um, they said okay Penny, you don't believe in God can you write down the qualities that a God would have that you could believe in if you were going to believe in God now not that we're going to make you believe in him you don't have to believe in him but if you were going to are there some characteristics that such a God might have that you could write down and I said yes and so I started writing down he's all powerful and all knowing and all loving and all forgiving and um, and he's a little overweight and he's trying to quit smoking and he's got a pretty good sense of humor, right? <laughs> I thought I could, I could work with a guy like that maybe. And, and, uh, and sure enough, I'm 120 days sober and, and I'm praying to this God that, I, that you guys taught me how to design. And, uh, and just that little bit of willingness to do what you guys suggested that I do. Little chicken shit things that I knew couldn't possibly work. And I do them and they work. It happens over and over and over and has for me for 14 years. Um, so uh, I came to believe. But, but trusting in this God was a hard thing. Until one day somebody said to me, uh, Penner, I saw you just walk across the street in front of a bus that wasn't stopped yet. And you relied on that bus driver whom you've never met and didn't know what the hell he might be smoking to stop that bus at the light so he wouldn't run over you. And yet you won't trust God who loves you more than anything in the world. And it finally clicked for me. Maybe I can trust God. Maybe I can trust God. He said, you trust the guy next to you in, at 70 miles an hour not to move over in your lane? Why can't you trust this guy that, 
that loves you more than anything you can possibly imagine. He asked me, he said, Penner, he said, you're, you've got two boys. You really love those boys, don't you? I said, yeah, I really do. He said, how much do you love them? I said, I, uh, I, I can't describe to you how much I love those boys. He said, uh, if your God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and all-forgiving, then he must love you even more than you love those boys. And I thought, Jesus, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. And I began to trust. I began to trust that God has for me in store better stuff than I could ever imagine for myself. If I just get out of the way. If I just be gentle with myself and get out of his way and let his will work in my life. Um, is they told me I had to take the third step. And again, Ron, Ron E. told me that, that uh, uh, when I asked him, did, I th- did he think that I really ought to take the third step, he said, the worst thing can happen is he'll get it out of the hands of an idiot. <laughs> but that, that the third step sets me free. Um, all, I, all my job is is to d- just do the next right thing, and I'm not responsible for the results. That's somebody else's business. All I can do is do the next right thing and let the results take care of themselves. Um, you taught me the process. The process is is to pray about it, use the brain that God gave me to think about it, and then decide what uh, is the next right thing to do. And then before doing it, check it out with somebody else in our colleagues now. That's the process that these steps teach us how to do. And I do that today. When I don't do it, I'm usually in trouble. Um, one guy told me that the third step was simply the decision do I like it better in here with you guys or or, or do I go back out there where I came from just that simple do I like it better in here with you guys or do I want to go back out there where I came from if I like it better in here with you guys then all I got to do is do the rest of the steps to the best of my ability pick up a pencil and start writing the fourth step. I did that. The first time I'd taken a hard look at me in my life, and thank God I did that because what I found was it's me. It's not them. I thought it was those ungrateful kids, those yo-yo wives, those clients that wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. It wasn't them. It was me. It was always me. It was always me. And thank God to know that. Because if I know that it's me, I'm not the victim anymore. If it's you, if it's your action that causes me pain and suffering and, and, and ill will, disharmony. If it's your action that does that to me, then I'm screwed. Then I do. Because I can't change you. But if what happens is me... I can change me. I can change my perception of what's going on out there. And I'm not a victim anymore. So I went through four and five, and, they, and, and it was a wonderful thing. Uh, I went through uh, six and seven. Uh, four and five helped me get okay with me. Uh, six and seven helped me get okay with God, and eight and nine helped me get okay with my fellows. 
Um, but getting okay with God is really an interesting thing. The, I think the most powerful spiritual meeting I've ever been to, I, I, my brother happened to be halfway around the world, and I went around to see him in Sri Lanka, a little island off the coast of India, and, and I went to a meeting there, and, and, uh, and there were a couple of Jews, and there were some uh, Muslims, and there were some uh, Buddhists, and some Taoists, um, there was some Hindu, there were some Tamils, um, there were Sinhalese, uh, there were Sikhs, there were a couple of Christians, and there was me. And we were all talking about the same God. All of us, from the incredibly diverse backgrounds, we were all talking about the same God who keeps us sober. What a wonderful experience this, this Alcoholics Anonymous is. Um, I, I recommend to you, hurry through the steps. Uh, the steps are where the payoff is. Um, the, the promises that follow the ninth step have come true in my life. Uh, I've, I've made those amends. Most days today, most, most times, most days, I don't have any resentments against anybody. What a freedom. What a freedom. Um, most days today, most times, most days, I'm really delighted to be Dan Penner, alcoholic, right here with you guys or wherever I am, with whoever I am, doing whatever I'm doing. You guys gave me that. I didn't know how to do that when I got here. Um, I'm a busted after I was two years sober and I don't recommend that to anybody I had to file personal bankruptcy and, and, it, and it was a terrible thing but I learned a couple of things one thing I learned was that uh, God's the source I'm not the source God's the source she's not the source God's the source of everything good in my life and because I had picked up that telephone and called another alcoholic every day, I had developed a group of five or six guys that I shared with on a regular basis. And I would call him and I'd say, guys, uh, next week they're going to shut me down. You know, it's just going to be terrible. They're going to take everything I own. And they said, Peter, what do you need today that you don't have? And I said, but you don't understand. Next week it's just going to be terrible. Well, but what about today? What do you need today that you don't have? And the answer was always the same. Always the same. They said it to me so, so often that I know it at a, at a deep level today that I got everything I need for today. I don't have everything I, I want for today. I don't have everything I need for tomorrow, but I got everything I need today for today. And, and it's been that way for a long, long time. And there's not any evidence that that's going to change. Um, there have been so many good things that have happened to me in this program. Um, I want to tell you what my metaphor for living is uh, today. Uh, I, I learned, but I didn't learn it either. I, I heard it for the first time when I was about four in, in nursery school, and maybe you all did too. Uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. My job is to row my boat. I got to do a little action, and I got to do my boat, not your boat, not her boat, my boat. 
gently downstream, not up the stream or across the current, but downstream, gently downstream, going with the flow. Easy does it. Um, Merrily, because my book says that God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free. And the only person I know today standing between me and being happy, joyous, and free is me. What a concept. Um, so I'm supposed to be happy, joyous, and free, merrily, because life is but a dream. See, it's my perception of what's going on out there that's my life. Same old stuff keeps happening out there. People come and go in our lives. We have financial ups and downs. We've got, we've got emotional ups and downs. We have physical ups and downs. The only difference between my very best day and my very worst day is my perception of what's going on out there. Because it's the same old stuff. And if it's my perception of it, hooray. I can change my perception. You guys have, have shown me how to change my perception. One of the quickest ways I can change my perception is to write out a gratitude list. I didn't know how to do that. I had two college degrees when I got to you guys, and I didn't know how to make a gratitude list. I didn't have the foggiest notion of what you were talking about. But I make a gratitude list, and I get into an attitude of gratitude, and boom, my state has changed. It's changed. You guys taught me that. Uh, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, let me just tell you one story in closing that that epitomizes Alcoholics Anonymous for me. It's a story about a guy who dies and he goes to heaven and St. Peter's at the gate and and St. Peter says to the guy, before you come in, I I want to I want to give you a little test. And he says, fine. He goes in. He takes him into a room about four times the size of this room. And there's big banquet tables just laden with food, beautifully served, beautifully prepared. Wonderful drink of all kinds, uh, perfect crystal, uh, silver, china. It's just so beautifully done. And the people in the room are just like you and me, except that their arms are longer than ours and they don't bend at the elbow and so they can't feed themselves and they're starving. And St. Peter asked the guy, so what is this? He said, well, it's obviously hell. And St. Peter said, that's a great answer. Let's go in this next room. It's a room just exactly like the one that he was just in with all this beautifully done food and drink. And the people in that room are just like us, except their arms are longer than ours and they don't bend at the elbow. But these people are happy and, and well-fed and slick and listening and they're just having the best time. And, and St. Peter says, what's this? He says, it's AA. He said, how can you tell? He said, well, they're feeding each other. And that's what you all have done for me. Thanks for, so, so much for having me. I appreciate it.